This is Paul. This is CJ. And this is Mike. Welcome to Love It or Leave It. Today we're talking about The Suicide Squad, that 2021 hybrid reboot, hybrid sequel to 2016's Suicide Squad. No article. No one got time for the article in uh, back in 2016. The Suicide Squad was released on August 5th, 2021 on HBO Max and in theaters. You want to hear a little fun fact? Lay it on me. This movie came out on August 5th, 2021. Suicide Squad came out August 5th. 2016. So literally five years to today in between these two movies. I smell a conspiracy. Well, one of those years didn't even seem to count, so... (laughs) Yeah, 2019 was rough. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I slept a whole lot. I ate a lot of food in 2020, so banner year for me. I don't know. CJ, how are you doing? Uh, CJ is joining us from Talking Shiz Podcast. Uh, I haven't talked to you, CJ, I don't think since we did... I don't. Have we spoken since we did interview with a podcast with you? I'm hurt. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, guys. I, well, I mean, we're I mean, gonna take it down than, here know. for a second. Tell me your feelings, CJ. <laughs> well, sometimes I feel sad. And, uh, Do you feel like lonely. Jared Leto? Sometimes are you a little upset? Yeah. So I just want to just go around and give everybody condoms. That's what I want to do. <laughs> fill up men and just put mayonnaise in them and just go hand them out to everybody like a parade i'm just gonna walk down the street and just throw them at everybody that won't get the officials alerted or anything i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> i know a lot of things have changed uh with the podcast i'm actually now solo uh maddox has moved on to other adventures so i wish him the best so it's just me all by myself monologuing shiz you need to get yourself a little laugh track maybe some like some canned uh humor just so you feel like there's someone else there with you i actually do have that <laughs> i love it i love it yeah i did an episode recently called sitcoms where i was just talking about all the you know unreal stuff about sitcoms and as i was talking about it i actually had a laugh track you know trying to make it feel like a sitcom then at the end of it you know i had that that sad piano music so you can learn a lesson whatever it was about Nice. Well, it seems like you're coping pretty well. I mean, and, you know, hey, listen, you've got two hands and you can put two puppets on your hands. You can never be alone. You could always just do impressions and throw your voice. It's a, it's an audio uh, medium. So no one has to know you're actually alone if you don't choose to be. So. <laughs> I mean, like before we get uh, started on the suicide, the suicide squad, what is everyone's relationship with DC movies in general? I guess I'm specifically talking to the extended universe movies. And what's your feelings on Suicide Squad, the 2016 movie starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie, directed by David Ayer. Well, let's see. I've seen all. I think the only DC property I haven't seen maybe have been Halle Berry's Catwoman, but that's not really in canon for for these movies. No. In general, I'm a fan. I mean, I I am a lot more um, forgiving when it comes to judging movies than a lot of people out there in internet world. Uh, I 
have always dug Snyder's style, so I I liked a lot of the visual elements that he brought to the stories, although some of the story aspect to his stories were lacking. I was forgiving because I was amazed by the spectacle. And so I was generally okay with his movies. I was a pretty big fan of the big bad Justice League that came out earlier this summer on HBO Max. The eponymous uh, Snyder Cut. The Snyder yeah. Cut, exactly. Yeah, Lord of the Rings Justice League, basically, that's what it was. Right, the <laughs> Mordor and everything. And the, see, the original Suicide Squad, David Ayer's version, or at least the version we got of the footage he shot, which is kind of contested in in the fandom, what it is that we got. I won't say that I didn't like it. I'll say that I did like it. I know that the, it's not like the, I don't know, it didn't feel uh, 100% cohesive in, in some ways in terms of like tone and the story and, and maybe some of those aspects. But overall, I was entertained from beginning to end. I am interested to see if they ever do get around to this Ayers cut that the fandom wants. I don't think that's going to happen, but I would be interested to see that. I've only ever seen the so-called director's cut of Suicide Squad, so I don't know what was chopped out of that original version. How about you, CJ? Do you have a, a, a love-hate relationship, more love, more hate with the DC movies in general and, and the old Suicide Squad? For me, DC movies, it's right down the middle. Either I can love them or, or hate them. My, my opinion, like DC, they do very well with their animated movies. Mm-hmm. They, they do great. I love their animated movies, even like Doom Patrol, or I'm watching the third season of the Titans now. And it's, it's not bad. But when it comes to movies, sometimes they do drop the ball. And like Zack Snyder, like it's a love hate. Like the, when he did release the uh, four hour version of Justice League, it actually made more sense than the other version that came out where it was uh, half Snyder and half, was it Singer, Brian Singer, whoever did Whedon, the other half? Josh Whedon. We, Josh Whedon. Uh, and, which I was really surprised because Josh Whedon, you know, he did great with Avengers. But so I was really surprised that it didn't make a lot of sense But after seeing the Snyder cut. But then hearing like the rumors, like I was excited seeing Man of Steel. But then when he changed key points of Superman's life, that irritated me i only watched that movie one time and i just can't get myself to watch it again it's like when jonathan kent died of a tornado what no jonathan kent died of a heart attack how can you change that one main event in superman's life you know and then he goes into alaska and it's like what it's like i don't understand the where he was trying to head with that and then you know he kills zod I, I don't get it. It's like there's key things in Superman's life you shouldn't have changed. The, and well, now with the, the Suicide Squad, I didn't mind it. It was not that bad. I've actually watched that movie three times. And Jared Leto, I think they had, I think David Ayer dropped the ball when it came to the Joker. And I know that he had like huge shoes to fill. You had Jack Nicholson, you had Caesar, uh, what is it? I always forget his last Romero. name. Romero. Yes. And then you had uh, Heath Ledger. Those were big shoes to fill when it came iconic, to Iconic, all three of them, really. Oh, I mean, yeah, truly absolutely. iconic versions. Yeah. Like Cesar Romero, his Joker was goofy and, you know, whatever. And Jack Nicholson's, his was kind of like goofy as well. Not, well, Caesar's was more campy. Let me put it that way. His was campy. Jack Nicholson's were more, his more was like goofy. But Heath Ledger, his he's his was sadistic. Like he actually had the mind of the Joker. Where, you know, I'm a I'm a huge Joker fan. 
a huge Joker fan. Maybe the greatest villain uh, of oh, all yes. time across any property. And it's the fact that he gets in your mind. I think that's why, like, the Joker, yeah, he's a psychopath. <laughs> he's a sociopath. Yeah, I mean, he, he's just, he's out of his mind. But his his main goal, and if you ever read the comic book, The Killing Joke, it actually gives you a deep dive into the Joker. That's the only only comic book I've ever actually truly enjoyed and seeing that how he flipped and his, his main thing that he, his main saying is, you know, all it takes is one bad day to flip you. And when Heath Ledger actually portrayed that throughout the film, like with uh, Harvey Dent, that was his main goal. It takes one bad day. Jared Leto, he meant he dropped the ball. He could have been, uh, he could have been so much more. Right. For me, Jared Leto was always kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of the Joker. He emphasized all the wrong aspects of that character and maybe and maybe intentionally so trying to step out from the shadow of some of the iconic performances that have come before. But I feel like it just went so far afield. It it, it was just distracting to like the nth degree for me. Yeah, and the the grill, the gold grill, and the tattoos. That that wasn't the Joker. The Joker, he he wasn't. I don't know. I felt like he was trying to be like a mob boss in a sense. Like he had that gangster, like a vibe. thug. Yeah, yes. like a, like, like that, a very thuggy. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't the Joker. The Joker was never like that at all. Even if you read the comics and seen the card, even like Mark Hamill, great. Even though he voiced the Joker, the jo- even the animated series, the Joker wasn't like that at all. And I think no. that he, like you said, he focused on, I don't know, the sadistic part or the the unstable part, let's put it that way, of the Joker. It was like they they had Harley Quinn, who embodies sort of like a, a recklessness, I guess. She's kind of moment to moment, if you will. But the, the accepted idea of the Joker is that he does have a plan and, and he, can, he, can, he can definitely handle any curveball you throw at him because he's willing to do anything. But it was like the, the Leto version was trying to match to her. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than going with a defined version of the, the Joker. Like violent and impulsive versus right. the, the Joker is just hyper intelligent. There's, there's no other way to explain him. That, that's why he's such a good villain and a good foil for Batman because he's as smart and as capable as Batman. He's just also super violent you know, and with a twisted sense of humor versus Harley who is, you know, because of her transformation is reckless and impulsive and violent you know it's very which which sounds maybe it should be similar but it's not and i, and I think you guys are right jared leto was not did not come across as intelligent and maniacal you wouldn't expect the jared leto version of joker to be like the final boss battle in a video game you know <laughs> right. uh, like more like first level yeah. yeah 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 like heath ledger's joker was taking down a whole city you know yeah that that right. was his goal like he was like he was that intelligent like that was his goal is to show you that there evil there's evil in everybody and that was like when his like even if you read any type of joker anytime batman came across the joker the joker always tried to push batman to that limit batman would never cross that line the joker kept going bigger and bigger and bigger trying to get him even when he shot barbara gordon and paralyzed her batman never crossed that line even even when he beat the crap and killed Jason Todd, <laughs> Batman never crossed that line. This Joker, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was his laugh that <laughs> sound like a <laughs> sound like Steve Urkel almost. I, I was know? gonna say, yeah, like Urkel. It's like Urkel Joker. 
Pretty much. But somehow more annoying, even. I love 2016 Suicide Squad. Uh, I wouldn't even say I like it. I, I wouldn't say I love it. I really, really enjoy it. I, it's one of my favorite soundtracks. Yes, it's really good. I mean, the movie's not as bad as everybody says it was. It's not as bad, and there's a lot of, There's a lot of parts to it that work really well. There are several parts to it that stink to high heaven, overshadow the good parts. Will Smith, I think, is great in it. Margot Robbie is great in it. Kinnaman is hit and miss in it. I think he's actually better in this version of it. Viola Davis, great, horrible villain. Very comic booky as a villain in the first Suicide Squad. I actually somehow feel like because she has less screen time in this one, she's somewhat maybe toned down despite the fact that she goes after a child in this movie. Paul, you are a big comic book guy, right? I mean, you grew up as a big comic book guy. How much does that affect your watching of these movies as far as portrayal of characters? Like, did do you are you constantly sitting there going, you know, King Shark would never act that way? Not really. Suicide Squad came along later in my comic book reading, and so I it was never one that I, I picked up with any regularity. And with the production of this movie, James Gunn didn't have access exactly to the original Suicide Squad members because a lot of them either, you know, couldn't act in this movie or had died in the last movie. And so he had to go with sort of um, a replacement roster. And so he dug for what he thought were, were lower tier bad guys. And that's how we wound up with people like Peacemaker and Polka Dot Man and all that. So he intentionally found people that didn't have a gigantic presence in the comics overall. I mean, I have a book on my desk here that I was leafing through to get some quick details on different people. And people like Peacemaker don't even make the book. Wow. <laughs> you wow. know, King Shark does because he has, I guess, some history with Aquaman. But yeah, Polka Dot, he, he super minor annoyance <laughs> at some point right. in comic book history. But there's a genius in there, though. And, and people forget about Marvel because after 24 movies and billions and billions of dollars made and 13 years of Marvel movies, people forget Iron Man was not like a major Marvel franchise character in 2008 when Robert Downey Jr. Right. Uh, puts on the suit for the first time. The Guardians of the Galaxy that James Gunn made his name on and James Gunn taking over writing and directing The Suicide Squad, you know, he he makes Guardians of the Galaxy a household name, whereas they weren't. They I mean, they weren't Superman. They weren't Thor. They were popular, but they certainly weren't top tier like Spider-Man popular. No, exactly. Right. Nowhere near. I mean, you couldn't if you if Spider-Man turned around, he wouldn't be able to see them in the distance. They would be so far behind him popularity wise. But that's a genius because then you have a lot of creative control and freedom to do what you want with them because people aren't beholden. It's not like Batman. It's not like Superman or Spider-Man. You, you have so much more uh, room to maneuver. I think that's kind of the genius of James Gunn, though. He knows how to take these minor characters and give them empathy. Like I'm rooting for King Shark all through this movie. I'm completely empathetic to this. Sylvester Stallone CGI character. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I King Shark better fucking make it out of this movie, or I'm gonna fucking riot. You know, like uh, Ratcatcher two and King Shark need to make it out of the movie, or there's gonna be problems. Like that's how I'm feeling by the end of this movie. There you go. That's the genius of James Gunn for me. I actually have their Funko Pop. I actually have both of them. Don't Brian say that like you're ashamed of it, CJ. <laughs> this is a safe space, my man. I have actually 150 of these Funko Pops, and I just recently uh, picked up, because I like King Shark. I, like King Shark and the new Suicide Squad, it was better than Killer Croc and the first one. 
who I found very, very, I, I found King oh. Crotch very enjoyable. Oh, see, I thought he was actually kind of funny. I liked the whole Cajun thing. I th- he didn't have much lines, though. It's like, yeah. I, I was hoping that he would have more lines. Now, who was it? Pyro? Not Pyro. Who was uh, the the E guy? What was his name? Diablo. Yes, Diablo. I actually enjoyed that character. Him and uh, Captain Boomerang. Those were two of my favorite characters in the uh, first Suicide Squad. Of course, Harley Quinn was another one of my favorite characters, but I felt like they over-sexualized her a little bit. Like, she's mm-hmm. wearing Daisy Dukes <laughs> going around. You know, I could have done, you know, she could have wore her, you know, outfit like she had in the other Suicide Squad. Like, I loved her outfit. It's like, that is an awesome outfit for Harley Quinn. I just, I just felt like you know, they kind of over-sexualized her a little bit, but I mean, she killed it. She did a fantastic job. Even with Birds of Prey, I know a lot of folks don't like that movie as well, but I enjoy Birds of Prey. I've seen that movie three times. Of course, Ewan McGregor, I think he kind of overacted a little bit with his uh, Black Mask character, but... Ewan McGregor overreact? Shut your mouth! That's not a thing that happens. <laughs> Once again, that's a character that, you know, he was diabolical. He was, he kind of played like Jokerish a little bit. And the Black Mask wasn't like that. Like, he was the true mobster. Like, he was a mob boss. And he played it like that. But Ewan McGregor, uh, he overacted in that movie. Y'all, y'all should go watch Halston if you want to see Ewan McGregor chew some scenery. Wow. Man. But, uh, I mean, well, I mean, all you have to do is focus on, like, I've got the high ground, Anakin! It's over! My next scheduled uh, McGregorism is going to be Kenobi. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I'm actually excited for that because he did such a great job with... Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He did. But again, but no, I mean, without, not necessarily the most subtle or nuanced actor, though, I guess is my point. But he's great as Kenobi. And, you know, I, I also liked Birds of Prey. It was my least favorite of her performances so far. But mm. I, I like Margot Robbie. I go back to like Pan Am with her, like 2010 or 11, when like Pan Am was like a TV show. That's where I first saw her. And I was like, she's fantastic. She's definitely going to be like a huge star. I thought it was going to be a TV star. She ends up becoming a big movie star. Well, let's go through actually some of the cast here. Because we have some returning people. We have Margot Robbie uh, returning from the first movie as Harley Quinn. You have Joel Kinnaman returning as Rick Flagg. You have Viola Davis returning as Amanda Waller. And you have Jai Courtney returning as Captain Boomerang. I think that's all of the returning cast members. Uh, who there were you happy to see back? Uh, better performances, worse performances? What do you think, CJ? Who is, is anyone better here than they were in the first one for you? Or, or that made you groan, on the other hand? I think Margot Robbie, I think she upped her game. Like she did a way better job in this film than she did in the first one. And I think because James Gunn probably gave her better direction, there was like James Gunn, he did something special for her or something like to show his appreciation. And uh, like she said, she really enjoyed working with him. And there was an interview and I enjoyed Captain Boomerang. I wish he had more of a more lines because I always like Captain Boomerang was funny to me. He was like almost like the comic relief. Rick Flagg, I think he did a better job. He did. I think he did pretty good. I think he was more. Um, more assertive than he was in the first one. Like the first one, he kept, I don't know, he kind of felt kind of timid and a little bit. You know, he, he kind of picked that up like he wasn't well, sure. He had but that, this one, that lame but this romance one in the first one. That right. Forced feeling thing with Enchantress, that woman who is definitely a model, but is maybe definitely not an actress. Um. And definitely not English as her first language. Uh, <laughs> forced into right. a billion dollar franchise property. So. Yeah. I, I agree with your with your Kinnaman. Um, like he he, it wasn't exactly a continuation of the same version of that character. Like he's more action heroy here, and that's not a bad thing. 
Um, a lot of times that might be a bad thing. Not in this case. Yeah, I found him. I thought he was sillier and looser here. Yeah. He didn't have like a stick up his butt as much as he did in the first movie, which made him much more enjoyable. You know, he was much more like a like a team member here versus some kind of automaton henchman for Waller. And also without the super lame love story, which I think is the worst aspect of the first movie. He was in charge of blowing heads off the first movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Like he kept reminding everybody. Yeah, he was kind of like just, you know, Guire and Spider-Man, you know, great power comes great responsibility. He made sure he reminded everybody throughout the whole film, you do something, I'll blow your head off, I'll blow your head off. So yeah. it was kind of annoying. How about Viola Davis? This is uh, was a weird casting for me when I saw her pop up as Amanda Waller at the end of, what was it, Dawn of Justice is where she's in the extra credit scene with Ben Affleck, uh, uh-huh. with Batflick. Yeah. Uh, and, and playing, and I like Amanda Waller. I like the character of Amanda Waller. I, I find it, I think it's a fascinating character insofar as not unlike peacemaker you know peace at any cost kind of thing you know willing willing to get really down in the trenches for national security does viola davis do it for you and and is she ramped up too much here is going after like blood sports daughter in this movie is that like too far for her is that believable that she's such a bad person being that she is very manipulative and she has a job to do so it's she has that and and she had it in the first one it's like whatever it takes to get it done i'm going to get it done she and killed no everybody calls. in the room <laughs> yes and she did that's true it's true but no kids paul i mean going after a kid is like going after like the dog like that's like a no-no isn't it isn't that too far isn't that one thing too too far i don't know i'd be more offended about the dogs but but yeah i mean I, sure. I haven't read comics with argus in them but i have seen the arrowverse and when they still had amanda waller in it and that character was played the exact same way by a different exactly. actress but it was the same total like i'm gonna keep my virtual bomb necklace around your throat <laughs> at all times and so that must be just true to as she's written this wasn't a character i ever came across in the, in the comics but yeah i know her from the arrowverse version uh and being involved with argus and diggle and stuff a total badass i i think viola davis is just such a talented actress so i believe her it was a little too bloodthirsty even for me yes i know she killed the entire room to to keep it all covered up i thought it was maybe a little bit over the line it was one of my it was the performance that i liked least in this less in this movie than I liked in the first one. I think Kinnaman was better. I think I agree with what you said, CJ. I think Margot Robbie upped her game. I think she was even more fleshed out as a human in this movie. Looked like she had a lot more room to breathe as a character. I, I think this is the improvement of this movie in general over the first one is all of the characters, all of the main characters, you were more inclined to become sympathetic or empathetic to them. I think I think they made you feel for them more. I think you were more invested in their story in this one versus like the, the last movie i know it's fictional but if you think about all the government covers up and i know this is way outside the scope if you think about all even all the movies that you've seen that had a, a some type of government cover-up that's where that she plays into that that's why i do think it's believable is because she's working for the government or uh an agency of the government, and they do these cover-ups. You know, they're here to protect, as they say, uh, the citizens of America. So it is believable if you think about, think about all the other movies that you ever watched, like Enemy of the State with Will Smith, and all the you know they used technology against him, and they had to cover it up or you know, anything like that. And that's how when she plays that character, I was like, that's believable. 
if you, I mean, if you're a big conspiracy theorist, then, yeah, you know, if you're outside the walls over there, but that's how I always looked at her. I was like, I didn't have any issue with her performance. I thought she did great. I mean, any, even uh, when, uh, how to get away with murder. I mean, she does fantastic. And I mean, she, she even has that ugly cry and that's how great of an actor she is. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the new people that we've got coming into this movie. We've got Il- uh, Idris Elba taking over, well, not taking over, uh, being introduced in this movie as Bloodsport. Uh, you have John Cena coming in as Peacemaker uh, and rolling his own uh, spinoff TV series as a result. Uh, you've got Sylvester Stallone voicing King Shark, David Desmalkian doing Polka Dot Man. Man, I-, I think everyone with mother issues or mom issues can uh, relate to Polka Dot Man a little bit. Uh, and you've got Daniela Mel you're in her English debut doing Ratcatcher 2. Those are the big ones. I mean, you have Michael Rook- Michael Rooker joins the DCEU uh, as Savant. Peter Capaldi's here as the thinker. Alice Braga is playing Solsoria. You got Pete Davidson. I couldn't wait for him to be dead. Black as Blackguard. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, who here is standing out for you? Are, are we happy that Idris has made the jump from uh, from Marvel into the DCEU? Um, he was wasted in, in Marvel. Well, remember, when when he's first debuting as Heimdall, though, no one knows who he is. You know, it was just one of those things he pops after before he can, you know, renegotiate his deal to get a bigger part or a bigger poly paycheck. Yeah, that's probably true. The most magnetic on screen for me was Cena, though. Even though it's predictable what he's going to do, he's in his element, you know, as opposed to when you see him in like a rom-com or something. And it's completely unbelievable that he's supposed to be playing like a dad or some shit. You know, <laughs> with this, yeah. like, he's like got this Greek god's body and we're supposed to believe that he's going to like spaghetti dinner or something. No, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is showing off because it's cool as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we we should spend some time talking about Cena, though, because I think people still chalk him up as just kind of a silly wrestler. I mean, he's a great wrestler and he works the crowds. He just got finished doing a whole summer on the WWE, did it like a summer tour, summer Cena tour on the WWE. And the guy, I mean, the crowds go fucking nuts for this guy when he walks into an arena. I don't think you can deny the guy can act. The guy has got some magnetism to him. He's got some star power to him. Oh, for sure. Yeah, which is amazing because coming from the wrestlers that that I grew up on who jumped into the movie scene that couldn't act their way out of a plastic bag. Even like The Rock, I was very impressed when they invited him on SNL. Like he took acting lessons. Seeing, you know, John Cena earlier, like mm-hmm. he involved into a better actor. Like, like seeing him in Daddy's Home. I was like, ah, okay. And then Daddy's Home 2, okay, he did a little bit better. But actually seeing him as Peacemaker, it's like, okay, I'm glad he's improving because I, I hate for him to stay, stay stagnant. Yeah, I'm not even a huge wrestling fan at all. Like, I, I stopped watching, I'll tell you how long it's go, The Bushwhackers was wrestling when I <laughs> I tell you how long ago it's been since I watched wrestling trying to describe the Bushwhackers and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan to my son who has gotten into wrestling in the last year or so so I've gotten sucked back into the world you know going back through my youth and talking about you know the Bushwhackers and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the, the two by four and the flag and he just looks at me like I am broken inside he has no idea what I'm talking about Lay a little but... Coco beware on his ass oh yeah <laughs> I mean, dog. Super, super fly Jimmy 
snooker. I mean, who's like, I mean, whose kids are like full grown adults and they're wrestling. So, I mean, my wife was into wrestling and I was telling her, I said, yeah, I, I was just naming off like the million dollar man and ultimate warrior. And I said, Jake, the snake Roberts. And I said, Jake, the snake Roberts, he always brought a boa constrictor in the ring with him. And she didn't believe me. And then she mm-hmm. looked it up and she was like, holy, he actually brought that snake. I said, yeah. Yeah. Oh I mean, man, when he would when he would get to the corner and when he was going reaching for the green bag, the green cloth bag, I mean, oh, you knew it was over. Jake the Snake was about to about to become nightmare fuel for you for sure. Listen, the WWE is reportedly maybe for sale. Uh, Vince McMahon uh, recently has come out that he's actually entertaining uh, offers. Possibly, the WB would be insane not to buy the WWE just because of the stable of actors that he can take from there. <laughs> uh, you've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's he's coming out as Black Adam next year. You've got Batista, who wants to be in a DC movie so badly because he's sick of playing Drax and dealing with Disney and Marvel in uh, on that side of it. He wanted to be in this movie. He just uh, he couldn't because he was doing Snyder's uh, Army of the Dead. Well, also, he doesn't like Cena. John, yeah, John Cena doesn't know why. I think a lot of people don't like John Cena. I think people either really love him or really loathe him. But And then you have John Cena, who obviously they're going to spend a lot of money on if they're going to do a spinoff show, a DCEU spinoff show for him. So yeah, the WWE has become like this kind of feeder program for DC powerhouses. Uh, we talked a little bit about Polka Dot Man. This character is kind of silly, but I don't know David Desmalkian at all. The actor and this character were completely new things for me. I had no, I had no basis for either of them. Uh, what, what's first impressions on this guy and his still kind of ambiguous polka dot power? <laughs> well, once you see his face, now all of a sudden, I believe you will see him everywhere. I just watched this old movie with Hugh Jackman called uh, Prisoners. He was in that. He's in. Uh, he was in the Joker's Gang in The Dark Knight. He's going to be Piter Debris in Dune when that comes out. Looks like he was on the Flash TV series. But yeah, just just as soon as I finished watching this, I was like, is that that same guy? Uh, <laughs> so I don't know him from anywhere, but all of a sudden now I've seen him everywhere. The Twin Peaks reboot? I mean, shit. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I oh, mean, I missed out because I was a pretty big follower of The Flash uh, up until like the last season. So I've, I've definitely then seen him for sure. He was so. Abracadabra, which I don't remember, but he made two <laughs> appearances. Yeah, that, that does not ring a bell for me at all. Villain of the week. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for sure. How about you, CJ? Were you, were you getting down with Polka Dot Man? Were you, were you running out, planning your Halloween costume around this guy? Well, remind me of Twister for some reason. I just just left-hand green. I don't know why. When I saw his, saw his, I was like, is this Twister Man? Oh, wait a minute, Polka Dot Man. Okay, that makes more sense. You know, yeah, I, you know, I don't, at first, I didn't like the character. I'll be quite honest. I didn't like him. I was like, oh, he's dull as shit. And like, you know, he definitely has uh, mommy issues. You can tell, like, maybe he was abused as a child or something. Like Some type of trauma happened to him. That was a gag for me that worked, though, the entire movie. And it got funnier to me somehow every time it happened, every time you kept seeing his mother's face. Like, well, in the middle, like, he kind of grew on you in the office scene. Apparently, that is an homage. Um, he's mentioning Milton in that scene. A man named Milton was the original comic book writer when that character first emerged how he says i liked milton or whatever milton in the real world was his creator oh well that's a very nice yeah well you get that with with gun you see some people that come into directing these movies say 
Kenneth Branagh <laughs> with Thor. That you don't get the sense that they're here because they are dyed in the wool comic book fans. Maybe he is. I don't know. Then you get others that's just like, they're really trying to do something special here. And you get that with, with Gunn, just of how many times he's kind of come back to the well of superhero movies. Like there's obviously the Guardians movies, but did you ever see Super? Uh, I don't no. think so. Super is a movie that he put out several years ago. It's got just about everybody in the world in it. Rain Wilson plays this normal guy who wants to be a superhero. So he makes his own super suit and he tries to get his girlfriend back from someone who he thinks has has taken her un- unjustly. His girlfriend, of course, is Liv Tyler because that's completely achievable. <laughs> He teams up with, well, she was Ellen Page at the time, and Michael Rooker's in it, Sean Gunn's in it, Kevin Bacon's in it, Linda Cardellini's in it, Nathan Fillion's in it. I mean, are these names starting to sound familiar at all? I am. I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the cast list. I'm like, yep, check, check. I mean, to be fair, Michael Rooker, Michael Rooker is in, Michael Rooker is in every goddamn movie ever made ever. I, I'm convinced now that Rooker secretly appears in every, at least every comic book movie that comes out. So, well, if he like James Gunn, he reminds me of Adam Sandler because he always like if he's got people that he, he's got a chemistry with and. He he knows that they're going to work well. Like he'll use them. Like if you ever look at Adam Sandler, like he uses the same cast almost in every one of his movies. And James Gunn does the exact same thing. Especially with his brother, Sean. Gilmore Girls fans know him as Kirk. Suicide Squad fans know him as Weasel in this movie. <laughs> or uh, Guardians fans know him as Craglin. He's one of uh, Michael Rooker's like crewmates. A Ravager. A Ravager. A Ravager. But he's gone on to do like a lot of the mocap in Marvel movies. So he, he did like the Rocket mocap or on-set stand-ins for Rocket. But they go back. Like if you go all the way back to the beginning of James Gunn's career when he was working for Lloyd Kaufman at Troma Studios, uh, Tromeo and Juliet was their first movie. And Sean Gunn was in that also as one of the Capulets, I think. That's funny. Yeah, like a major speaking line. They like tore off his ear and everything. It was, you know, because Troma, you got to do that kind of stuff. Or oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, not a Troma movie. But yeah, uh, and I think you're right that, that uh, Gunn, he, he knows who he likes to work with and he and and who he can trust and he keeps going back to those people whenever he can yeah he made brightburn like that's one of my favorite movies well he produced Thanks. it his other he has other gun brothers that are not Sean that wrote it um but he's yeah James is a producer on that one and, and that one I also liked I was surprised it didn't get a bigger following myself but I have the Funko pop pre-ordered so that's so I do. They have a Funko Pop. Uh, Brian, I have it pre-ordered, so I can't wait for it to come in. There were several of these actors from Brightburn also. Did you see Brightburn, Mike? I, I did. I did, yeah. I think the only other major character that we haven't talked about is Daniela Melchior, who's playing Ratcatcher 2 here. Again, this was not a character I knew, not an actress I knew. I think she's the breakout of this movie. I was really impressed with her. I thought she had a lot to do in this movie, more than I would have expected given, given the stacked cast of really kind of A-list names that are in this movie they put a lot in her hands and i think she carried it off pretty well uh am i off base there what's your guys take what do you think paul she's definitely the heart of the movie her character you either needed to buy that or that element you know the 
pathos <laughs> wouldn't work. It did. That's another kind of cameo in this is that they have Taika Waititi somehow playing her Puerto Rican dad. The guy's a chameleon. The guy's a chameleon. He was, <laughs> right. I mean, coming, coming, coming off a free guy. I mean, he's a, he is a, he's a chameleon. Right. He, he can be your mind Hitler or he can be a Puerto Rican dad. It, it, whichever. That's a Jojo Rabbit reference for anybody that's not up on the conversation. Um <laughs> But yeah, it, yeah, I think you're right. I think if she doesn't work, then it's just uh, a sillier action movie than than it needed to be. How about you, CJ? Were you were you were you captivated by the Rat Woman, Rat Catcher too? I was. I really liked her. I liked her performance. Like I said, I bought her Funko Pop because of it because I really liked her performance. I think she was more of like the kind of like I think she was like the clear head. Like she was almost like the Harley Quinn. In this movie, like Harley Quinn, even though she had her, you know, insane moments, whatever, Harley Quinn was kind of like the heart of the first one. And she kind of kept the the team together. It's like, well, let's go drinking, you know, whatever. She kind of like gave clarity in a sense. And that's how Ratcatcher was in this movie. If you think about it, she was like the clarity, the heart. You know, she, you had King Shark that was definitely wild and she kind of tamed him and kind of had everybody else on his side as well trying to explain it to him and then like i said she was like the the what is the word i'm looking for it's not clarity but she was kind of uh, the level head the grounded That's, one yes the, the grounded yes. there we go when we and get she, to the uh the uh, spoilery part of the discussion i definitely have a question about her character that i want to come back to uh, uh for sure i think i mean just the amount of rats in this movie i think probably require uh, more discussion I, I, though i think most of them were cgi i think i read that there were actually two rats uh like live rats that were being used for the stuff that they couldn't cgi so there i have, were I have a fun fact about the onset rat his name was crisp rat in honor of star lord chris pratt, chris <laughs> pratt. Right. yeah his That's name is crisp funny. rat I love it. it works. It works. And and I'm sure not at all a uh, political based dig against uh, Christopher Pratt. So <laughs> who's <laughs> fallen out of favor with probably many of these people that he works with. Uh, and the second one, his name was Splinter. Nice. I didn't catch that, but that's great. I'm just playing. Oh, uh, I'm just say, totally man, that I was excited there. I was excited too. I was like, that's an homage. How come we're not doing a whole fucking show on that homage? We need to get some turtles up in the uh, fucking DCEU. Peter Capaldi, oh, uh, the 13th Doctor, 12th Doctor. The 12th Doctor coming in here as the bad guy thinker. Somewhat underutilized, I thought. Yes. I was looking for the TARDIS. It's a lot bigger on the inside. For sure. I mean, I'm I'm forever going to link him to, to his role as Doctor Who. I actually, I mean, he's an impressive actor. I've seen him do other stuff. For me, the pinnacle for him was always and probably will always be Doctor Who. And I think I think the problem with the thinker in this was it was a little half-baked because they wanted to get to Starro itself. And so they, I feel like they gave him a little bit of the short shift. You know, he was really just the thing to get to Starro. And so didn't really get a big turn himself does that make sense is that i i think that's how maybe why he gets underutilized here oh i agree because the thinker he was he was like a like one of uh, he was like one of the baddies like he can always outthink you know that's what he was known for is like he was it's his intelligence and you know they didn't use that they only use them to train damn starfishes like a damn golden retriever 
I mean, if you were a fan of the Flash TV show, I think the Thinker season is probably the last great season of the Flash. Um, you know, it was it was a standout chess game the whole way through. It was one of those twenty two episode seasons that kind of kept you engrossed. So yeah, I mean, they, you can do a lot with the Thinker. He's he's one of those guys who maybe not super well known, but if you gave him the right movie and the right script to shine, I think I think he could do a lot of good stuff on screen. The character. Maybe he just had limited availability or something because I uh, I've watched this movie twice. I watched it to enjoy it, then I watched it for to prep for this. And on second viewing, I thought uh, I think they're having fun with this character, and maybe they needed to try to fit a metahuman on the on the side of the antagonist just to maybe make it feel like it was even. I don't know what, uh, but. As an actor, though, he didn't have much to do, and it seemed like he was much more capable of being a fully diabolic source of of evil by himself. Like you had him, but then you had like a very stereotypical for a for an American action movie, South American, you know, power hungry general who who is like kind of cut and paste from any kind of 80s action movie. It was a much less compelling kind of kind of thing. Maybe you could have combined the efforts of what those two were after and created a more compelling diabolical presence on on screen that Capaldi easily could have done. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is a dead on perfect assessment. I think they were in the end of the day, they were much less concerned about giving you something deep with him versus just kind of checking a box uh, is what it felt like. I, j- not to go back to your great uh, trick with Splinter, CJ, the other rat's <laughs> name, the other rat's name was actually Jaws. It was Jaws and Crisp Rat. Maybe it was, uh, you know, they got Jaws because of King Shark, you know, being a, a great white. Maybe that was like a, a Spielberg homage. A little uninspired, uh, Gun. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's work on that. <laughs> Next time go with Splinter and Suicide Squad Part 3 or 2 and a half. Rise of the Rats. Can we quickly hit some of the lesser team members? I want I want to talk about the 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 first Suicide Squad team we see in the movie, uh, the one led by like Nathan Fillion as uh, TDK, uh, the Detachable Kid. Did anyone stand out here? You have, so you have Nathan Fillion as the Detachable Kid. You have Sean Gunn doing the Weasel, doing the Weasel. It sounds like a dance. Uh, Flula Borg as Javelin. Uh, you have lucky. Safety dance. You can dance if you want to. I, see, if people our age are going to go there, or they're going to go Polly Shore and be like the Weasel, you know, doing oh something like God. that. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I totally forgot that. Weasel Jujus, buddy. Oh my! Storm God. in the beach, buddy. And then you have Mailing Nig as uh, the alien mass murderer. Wouldn't be funny if they brought Polly Shore character from army of, army of whatever his army of whatever whatever that movie was that got off a movie and actually had him storm on the beach with them that would be, hysterical. <laughs> be, be hilarious i think just having paulie shore himself and everyone would if you said he was a metahuman everyone would believe you you know just playing <laughs> paulie shore you know he would wiggle his fingers and some shit would come out of it like added in post-production i think i think that i think that's a whole franchise unto itself so oh, they should bring him as the condiment king that'd be perfect 
did I miss anyone? Was there? I mean, just as a general, and I already talked about how I hate, uh, I hate Pete Davidson. I think he is hepatitis in human form. So he's playing Blackguard in this movie, and I could not wait for him to die. He needed to die faster. That's my that's my general take on all those guys. I can never have enough Nathan Fillion. How about you, Paul? Which of these like sub characters pop for you? Would you watch a movie uh, if they had their own spinoff? The, the buildup to Savant. Because this isn't really a spoiler because it happens in the first five seconds of the movie. The spoiler to Savant makes me really curious about where he came from, what his story is. You know, if there was a Savant prequel, that might be watchable. I know that Rooker's getting a little old for that. But yeah, that he was the only one I was I was waiting to be like, when, okay, now, now, no, not now. <laughs> yeah. I was so disappointed in that character. <laughs> but the buildup was like, this is, uh, okay, all right, there's something badass about this guy, obviously. I thought I just didn't understand the casting of the movie based on what I had heard before going to see it. Because I, I guess I, I was like, maybe I really hadn't followed what this movie is going to be about or <laughs> or who's actually in this movie. I maybe just have a fundal, fundamental misunderstanding of what's going on here. But I was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. It's all it's all good. It was just a little bit of a twisty twist. Uh, yeah, no, I think a prequel there is interesting. I think a prequel there is interesting. I like the shtick with the javelin. I thought that was pretty funny. The, again, it was one of those gags that as it went on, kind of like Polka Dot Man and his mother made me laugh. Uh, as it went on, uh, it, Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, and the javelin. I, it was just good humor. I think that's another mark of Gunn is he does the humor well. You know, he balances. He knows how to make humorous moments in the middle of these action sequences, these big set pieces. When Idris Elba was first cast, it was it was initially announced that he was going to take over as Deadshot. Deadshot, Will yeah, Smith's character Deadshot. from the first movie, Deadshot. Um, but then quickly, I guess it was announced actually he's going to be playing a separate character because they want to leave the door open for Will Smith to ever come back and, and take up the role again if he wants. Would you have cared had they recast that character and brought him back, but with Idris instead of Will? Uh, or are you happy that they went and introduced another new character? I'm happy that they actually introduced a new character because it's just seeing something different. I mean, Idris Alder did a he did a great job. I mean, I, his performance was just amazing. Almost almost anything that he's in, he, he always definitely puts that hundred and ten percent. And I was in there thinking about that. Wouldn't it be awesome if you actually saw Deadshot and Bloodsport in a movie together? I would just take my money. I mean, yeah, I, I would I would, I would line up. I would with see that. in a heartbeat. It's like seeing uh, Rocket Raccoon and Howard the Duck. Out, yeah, in <laughs> the movie together. I just here, go here. Here's my debit card. I want to go. I want to see this movie. Have you seen Free Guy, CJ? No. Uh, there's there may or may not be a Howard the Duck cameo in Free Guy. It's enjoyable. I mean, I don't know if you have a Ryan Reynolds opinion or not, but he, it's it's enjoyable. I like Ryan Reynolds. I do. Uh, like when he played Deadpool and uh, you know, Wolverine Origins, whatever, he was very annoying. Even in Blade Trinity, he was very annoying. So as long as he doesn't overdo his his Ryle Reynoldsness that he has, <laughs> so yeah, like it, like uh, Van Wilder, you know, he was he was good as long as he doesn't push that same sarcastic person that he does and he, he's good. Like in Deadpool, perfect. He did a he he had he he lowered it. You know, so I'm actually eager to see this one because after seeing the trailer, I said, okay, he's not going to go full blown Ryan Reynolds like he did in the past. I don't want to get off on that movie, but I will tell you that the energy that I kind of wanted from Ready Player One, I found in Free Guy. 
if that makes Interesting. any sense. No, it, it, it totally makes sense. I've seen, I've seen both. That's, that's, I, I see that take. I liked Ready Player One. I, I did too. Uh, I did too. I was disappointed based on the book because I really, really like the book. It really hits all of the right nostalgia feels for me. But I, I totally get what you're saying there. I mean, I, I think as far as a, a video game movie goes, I think it's actually one of the better, maybe best video game movies ever, even though it's not doing a, an adaptation of a real video game. It captures the idea of what it is to be a modern gamer and the way people treat like, you know, your Grand Theft Auto players, your Red Dead Redemption 2 players, the way the way NPCs are are treated, the kind of casual violence that gamers have because they're not real people. I, I think it actually hits on a lot of things that are interesting, and it's actually a pretty good commentary on kind of current gaming, uh, the way it's done on online today. I thought so. so. Yeah. Talk about gaming, and I just saw this today. So there's going to be a DLC, and it's Undead Nightmare 2 for Red Dead Redemption 2. Really? Interesting. I got tired... I got tired bootlegging Moonshine, and so I haven't played Red Dead Two in quite a while. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe it's time to dust that all off. You need a refresh. Huh? I, need, I need, I need to learn how to play all the games again. I'm at an age now where if I don't play a game for a week, I have no fucking memory of how what to do or anything. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. What are I, all these I, buttons for? I went back to because uh, I was I was playing Red Dead Redemption. I thought, well, I'm gonna take a break, and I started playing Ghost of Tsushima. And I said, like, well, I'm going to be Ghost before I go back to Red Dead. Then I started playing Red Dead again. I'm like, okay, how to shoot, where to run. Okay, uh, like I accidentally shot my horse. And I was like, uh, okay. I need. So I got out the instruction manual trying to learn these buttons again. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, I, I when I got to the end of the campaign of Red Dead, uh, the game, not the online, not Red Dead Online, but the actual Red Dead 2 campaign, I, I needed to take a couple of, like, days to myself when the horse dies and then and then the, the consumption's just taken over. I was in a bad place because I had gotten so fucking emotionally invested in this goddamn game. Uh, it's actually a plot line in Mythic Quest this season. One of the characters is trying to explain the power of a well-done narrative in a video game, and he's showing cutscenes from Red Dead 2 and the girl turns to him she goes you wrote this this is she's like crying you know she's got like tissues in her hand he's like no no I didn't write it I'm just showing you as an example of of what good writing could look like you know he's like no this is far better than anything I can do but yeah I mean Red Dead is uh yeah woof woof take you on a ride let's hit our our uh, our verdicts and move on to some spoilers what do you think CJ do you love this movie or are you gonna leave it I, I actually enjoyed it I loved it I, I give it a Four stars, four out of five stars. What are the highlights? What, what's your elevator pitch to people? Uh, you have 30 seconds to convince them to go see it. What, what does that sound like? Well, you have Harley Quinn. Why would you not want to go see Harley Quinn? I mean, come sure. on. <laughs> Other than, you know, King Shark's hilarious. It's definitely gory. I, I'll give it that the blood count, the body count. It, it was definitely higher than the first one. I think that with this one, you can tell James Gunn took his time with it even with the cinematography he did. One thing I didn't like is the soundtrack. I did not like the soundtrack of this movie. Especially compared to the last one. I yes. agree with you. It did, nothing yes. in this soundtrack stuck with me at not all. Not like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, I didn't. I thought he probably didn't want to repeat himself with that sort of late 70s or early 80s radio pop kind of thing that, that people really like about Guardians. So Guardians, I think he yeah. like really consciously avoided that stuff. For this. Well, he tricked you though. He tricked you because that, and when the movie opens, you're hearing Johnny Cash. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and when he was playing in, you know, uh, uh, 
Far, uh, Folsom Prison. And it's like, oh, okay, so he's going that. Okay, okay, we just now this music's gonna be great. No, it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, you're music. right. It wasn't memorable after that. Yeah, after because I thought, oh, okay, because that's how he always sets it up, you know. Like Guardian, even the soundtrack to the sequel to Guardians was it was decent. You know, I, I, I have them both. I went and bought them both because I really enjoyed it. And the way that James Gunn actually writes his movies, and this is one Easter egg that nobody can figure out. But if you ever look at the Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, the one big Easter egg is how the song, how he matches a song to the scene. That's how it's going to play out. Just FYI. Uh, movie is rated R, so you should be aware of that just uh, just to head on to the gore and the violence. This is not a PG thirteen movie. Uh, it's not a PG movie. It is a rated R movie. Even though you can watch it streaming for another couple days anyway at the time as the time of this. So if you're going to take your kids to see it, like I saw, I you know I let Tom watch it because I assumed it was going to be just violence. And if it's violence only, like I'm cool with that. He plays enough video games, but you know keep that in mind if you're going to let your seven, eight, or nine year old sit down and watch this because they want to. A cute shark. I mean, motherfucker eats whole people. So you know, <laughs> just be warned. It's violent. It it's super, super violent. It's just a swallow, like a no, snake. No, so on top on top of the violence, it's also bad table manners. So you know, exactly. Didn't yeah. even wipe his mouth. You know. What say you, Paul Daly? Love it or leave it? Oh, I definitely loved it. I've watched it twice, and on second viewing, I identified a couple of spots where were I the editor. I would have found maybe 10 minutes to cut out of this movie. But on first viewing, I was just soaking it all in. Just, I I thought all the jokes hit. I didn't have any baggage that I've seen from a lot of other online voices, um, not qualified reviewers, I would say, just movie consumers that drag in some baggage that they have about preferring um, Snyder's darker style or something like that. Given that they wanted to make this one have this level of humor and stuff like that, I have a, I, I'm trying to develop a nice keen sense of of how serious a movie takes itself and if it hits that mark or not because if it overshoots it in one way or the other you know the movie's kind of lame and, and you don't want to watch it again whereas this one knows like the first hour of batman versus superman the dawn of justice takes itself too, take too, too seriously yeah, exactly uh, so this one i think hits its tone and all of those things right so all the flourishes that it adds either with the jokes or maybe the scene that's in the trailer so it's not a spoiler but but uh, the scene with like the flowers popping out behind uh harley quinn the, the kind of the surreal nature of of those mm-hmm. kind of things like that they all fit in my viewing none of it none of it stands out as like oh that's overboard that doesn't match i, I mean, think it all fits together as nice cohesive colorful whole so yeah i I, i'd recommend this unless you're some sort of die hard like ride or die with the dark gloomy uh palette of the snyder verse yeah i agree with you i I mean i love this movie i laughed a lot at this movie i was impressed at a bunch of the set pieces i did not see this in theaters i did watch it streaming so i i think i would have probably liked it even more had i seen it in theaters it it definitely was set up as a summer blockbuster uh it, it was it was a lot of spectacle there were a lot of big set pieces 
Uh, I liked it more than the first Suicide Squad, I, which I enjoyed. I like this one even more. I think it imp- overall it improved on the weak spots of the first movie. And I, I am not a big Snyder guy. I think those are the worst movies in the DCU. I think they're dour. I think they take themselves very seriously. And I think because they involve characters like Batman and Superman, it's hard to separate that from the public discourse on whether or not those characters are being treated with respect or not part of the genius of a movie like this is that it focuses on characters that generally people don't really care about so when you do stuff with them you can be impressed with it and you don't have to worry about you're going to get compared to a lot of things i think margot robbie improves on harley quinn i think this is the best performance of the three now that she's done in in character i think without having jared leto as an actor and without having his joker uh, I think Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie, I think both flourish even more, you know, freed of that baggage. Uh, and I think this movie actually has some heart. I think it actually has some heart. And I think it has some uh, some real empathy to it uh, between Ratcatcher 2 and King Shark and and just Margot. I, I think it, there's a cohesiveness here and there's a family vibe here in the core cast that's missing even in the first one. Overall, I, I like it. I'm going to give it a big, uh, big King Shark. So I'll give it I'll give it I'll give it four King Sharks out of five. Four. King Sharks. <laughs> De- decapitated uh, South American military leaders. Uh, there you go. That's right. That's right. Four That's out of five right. javelins. Right. right. Four out of five javelins. That's exactly right. what I'm giving Four it. Four so. silenced desert eagles. Uh. Four out of five bombs. Four bombs in your neck out of five. So... That's the end of the non-spoilery, even though I know uh, we're going to have to do some editing because I I can't not say spoilers, apparently. But now we're going to get into some of the specific things we liked in the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, pause now, go watch the movie, and then come back. For those that don't care about spoilers, well, keep listening. And maybe maybe you'll be even more enthused to go watch the movie if you haven't seen it already. Uh, All right, TJ. What uh, what were some spoiler? What were some specific moments in the movie that stood out to you that when you're when you're thinking about it or talking about it, you kind of go back to in your head? Uh, Savant, I didn't like how like why was he scared? That kind of pissed me off. If he's supposed to be this murderer, why is he running? Like why is all of a sudden seeing all this bloodshed scared him? And he wants yeah. to run. And it's like you're a cold blooded killer. Apparently, even though there's not much of a backstory, I mean, he killed a bird with a ball. So you think, and I don't know, that kind of set. It was kind of like a, a a fake setup, like we were discussing earlier. It was kind of like totally fake. It's like I don't, I don't get it. It's like okay, it's like the Mick Rib. It's like oh, you're expecting something really good because it's you know it's ribs. It's great. It's barbecue. And then you bite into it. And go oh, that was very mediocre. The McRib of supervillains. Yes, pretty much. That's what he was. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't wind up on the back of the fucking DVD, I don't know what else will. I mean, you you think Rooker, he, he's, he's a good enough guy. He's a good enough actor and certainly in comic book roles. You were like, oh shit! Like this guy's gonna be in this way. He's gonna carry it. Like they're setting it up. They're like they're gonna give him some stuff to put on his shoulders because he can do it. He can carry it. He's got enough gravitas in this sphere, I think, to do it. So I I, I was really super confused. I was like, I don't even know Michael Rooker was in this fucking movie, and this is going to be about Savant? Like, what? What am I watching? I thought this was going to be, you know, Harley Quinn Part 3. So, no, it it had me kind of lock, stock, and barrel. I was was totally sucked into it, because I'm a moron, apparently. How about you, Paul? 
Yeah, I mean that dude made you cry in, in Guardians too. So yeah, he's he's got Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> I mean he's from Mary freaking Poppins, so uh, let's see. My my question that I wanted to bring over was uh, concerning Ratcatcher. Um, I thought that the premise of the Suicide Squad was that these were lifers. And so the idea of use of selecting these supervillains that weren't going to get out of jail anyway to do this governmental dirty business was just deniability that if they if they get killed, who cares? They're, they were never supposed to get back out anyway. So with Ratcatcher, I wonder how she makes the roster. I was thinking the same thing. Like, what what did she do? I wish I had more of a, a backstory of like how she got put in prison because you already know everybody else but you know her so i mean her bio is that she ended up she when she moved to the united states to live the american dream she ends up becoming a serial bank robber she gets apprehended in gotham city and that's how she gets then imprisoned at bell rev so she gets life for robbing a bank? What? I, well, I sense. think it was multiple banks was uh, was the thing. But I guess her father had done the same thing. So maybe it was also a little bit uh, damned by reputation. Uh, Taika Waititi was also a bank robber, I guess. So maybe maybe that was the, the theory on it. It, it. As far as people that are in Bell Rev, it does seem to be a rather minor offense. <laughs> yes. I mean, did not put a uh, kryptonite bullet in any su- uh, superheroes. You know, a, a slightly lesser offense. Well, it's kind of like uh, Maleth or whatever her name was. You had the purple lady. Was it uh, Mongal. Mongal. Oh, yeah, Mongal. Alien mass murderer was her bio. <laughs> I was expecting something great from that. All she did take down a damn helicopter and kill herself. What? And, and then kill Captain Boomerang. Yeah. Like, what? And I was actually looking forward to seeing him, you know, further through the movie. I mean, TDK or whatever his name was. That was the dumbest power. <laughs> I'm going to throw my arm at you. Why don't you just flip them off and hope they don't shoot you? I mean, come on. That was so stupid. I, 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 I'm like, what? I'm going to throw my arm at you, and I'm going to stand right in the line of fire. Like, what? And, I, and I'm not even going to choke you. I'm just going to kind of do some like Three Stooges stuff. <laughs> I'm going to slap you around. There was a headline about a week after this came out, maybe two weeks after the Suicide Squad came out, said that uh, TDK is maybe alive, is alive, made it out of there alive. And uh, don't be surprised if you see Nathan Fillion reprising the role again. Well, on my rewatch, I noticed that his screen never went red. On their big board where they were, you know, green or red, his didn't turn red. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, well, so no, I mean, uh, he's officially can- canonically alive, apparently. So expect to see him. And again, it makes sense. I mean, Nathan Fillion is kind of money in the bank with this with this segment of people who go to watch this movie. And I mean, nerds, you know, sure. people people love the Fillion, uh, as do I, uh, despite all those normies out there that know him from the rookie. Uh, you well, know, Castle. we all know him. Yeah. And Castle. Yes. We know him as Firefly uh, Browncoats forever. How about you, Paul? Was there any moments here that stood out just a set piece? or just you know things that you were either blown away by and or on the other side underwhelmed by uh well maybe maybe not blown away but i would say highly highly amused like i i could watch this sequence just by itself is the suicide squad invading the freedom fighter camp and not knowing that they're on the same team very funny and as i was watching it i was thinking 
these guys aren't in uniform, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah, the one moment. taking a bath. <laughs> when, when, when Cena just hatchets that guy laying down on, on the cot and just in random spots, just like he's banging a hammer, just top, 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 top. As he's and then leaves it. <laughs> then he leaves it sticking out of him. He's like, oh, I'm done with that now. And then keeps going on. I, I liked it because it was a great gag. The two of them escalating each other, uh, Bloodsport and Peacemaker, you know, escalating each other. Who's like the bigger badass. And then finding out that they're actually the good guys or good guyish, and uh, and then kind of being like, yeah, I don't know how they died. You know, it was very, it was just very funny. It was some really good acting from uh, from Cena, who is really a funny guy. I think. I mean, he he often makes me laugh despite myself. But Idris Elba, who I don't think of as a laugh riot, I think of him as a really serious dude, got me there. Like, definitely, definitely made me laugh. Well, Cena nailed some uh, some of his deliveries here. The the whole uh, beach full of dicks. Who knows why madmen do what they do? Uh, that that whole bit <laughs> was, yeah, super hilarious. But blow me away. I guess I guess there was a lot of stuff with um, Starro at the end that I thought was great. Uh, just the scale of Starro. Um, yeah. The effects, like the CGI was amazing. Like they nailed that. Uh, yeah, I yeah. wasn't expecting to look that good. We recently got honest. a 4K TV. Man, I I bet with some of these shots. I don't know this because I didn't bother to look. But was there a 3D uh, release of this? Because some of those shots seemed custom made. You know, like the slow mo spore coming out of of Starro uh, seemed like that's one of those definitely supposed to be with 3d glasses kind of shots but yeah it looked fantastic i don't think it was 3d i i was impressed with starro also and i think that's a huge gamble to pin your big bad on a whole a holy you know cgi kind of character like that that's a that's a giant risk but i think it really pays off i you buy it and you buy you, i mean there's a lot of the plot that you buy the fact that it's you know in corto maltese is where the american government's doing its dirty laundry kind of thing and encouraging it, it feels kind of believable and and so it's also like you can have uh, Starro and his little, you know, squid face eater, you know, face huggers taking over the entire population in this little island country because it's isolated enough that it's not immediately going to get out in the United States. And so it has huge scale, but it's also kind of controllable. It's like going to Skull Island to have your final battle kind of thing. Yeah, no, I was I was impressed by it. I think, unfortunately, I think Peter Capaldi's The Thinker suffered because they just wanted to get to Starro, which almost feels like a waste, because I think you probably could have done a lot with the Thinker, and just nothing we didn't say before. I think they wasted the Thinker in order to get to Starro. Yeah. I, they could have used someone unknown. They could have created a new character out of whole cloth if it was just as a, as a, as a mechanism to get to get us to Starro. Yeah, something like a lesser known like Lex Luthor or somebody like that. Right, yeah. right. A high high intelligence, but no combat value bad guy. Yeah, the thinker could have been used better, I, I, I think. <laughs> right, you, you think. I mean, you see the thinker and you're thinking, like, it's going to be more like a chess battle of, like, wits. Not, he's not, not like he's just, like, the circus tamer for this, you know, space alien. The keeper of the space alien. That's probably my only knock on it. And again, I, we didn't talk about the plot during the main part of the movie because I don't know how important the plot is to these kinds of movies. Right? It, it's really about the set pieces. It's really about the camaraderie of the actors and the characters. 
uh, and and how they interact with each other as they go forward to do the thing. Does the thing really matter? Whatever the thing is, is that a is plot an important part of these kinds of movies uh, for you? The U.S. government is trying not to be found out about this, and so it's a cover up. So it started as a cover-up, but then it ended up, you know, being a full-scale battle. Right. Well, because then your bad guys get a conscience, right? And that's kind of the arc that you expect them all to be on. And that's when Peacemaker reveals himself to be the bad of the bad guys. And But again, for him, it's not so much he's being a bad guy. He's just being a patriot in his eyes, in his own eyes, and following his orders from Waller to get the evidence and destroy the evidence. I don't know, Paul, for you, does the actual plot of these kinds of movies really matter? Have you ever walked away from a superhero? hero movie and be like i don't know starro you know uh, starro's not a believable thing to me and so it affected my enjoyment of the movie no going back to say the x-men the first movie uh where they took the characters that they liked and they joined them together even though if you were a comic book fan you knew that that didn't really work timing wise, but whatever. You got kind of used to this idea that as people wrote comic book movies, they were going to adapt uh, what they could and try to make the best story they could. And sometimes it it works and sometimes it works less well. But along the way, especially as uh, especially Marvel started cranking out more and more movies, the plot, as you mentioned, Mike, almost becomes interchangeable because um, they are very meant to be formulaic in that they hit certain beats. They have a certain number of set po- set pieces and they all wind up needing to do the thing. The reason you watch is because sometimes they throw in these surprises that, you know, the, the reveal of Michael Rooker's true feelings towards Star-Lord at the end of of guardians two is is didn't see that coming you know but it makes sense all the same nothing about what had led up to that made that feel unearned Uh, those kind of moments are what keep me coming back is is those surprises and this like like you mentioned cj there was the the cover-up element the the story was different than we had originally gotten from waller why do we trust her at this point is is a good question it was kind of cool to see them go back to corto maltese because in in dc storytelling when you need a a place for bad stuff to happen but you don't want to name a real place that's the place uh, if you go back to even Tim Burton's first Batman, that's where Vicki Vale took her nasty pictures that made her famous, right? So it's been around a long time. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Mike, the, the, the plot in these is meant to go by the numbers. It's just when they drop in the surprises and how well they execute them that, that keeps me really interested. Same. And when you get moments of heart, when you get moments of something beyond the the explosions and the spectacle, you know, when you when you find yourself like like I said, you know, by the end, I was rooting for King Shark. You know, I was you know, I was I was pulled by rat catcher, you know, and I I don't like rats. I'm a lifelong New York resident growing up in New York City. I have a thing with rats and pigeons. I don't like either of them a lot. And uh, and squirrels. I hate squirrels, too, Uh, you know, which are just fluffy, fluffy rats with longer tails. So yeah, you know, but I, I there is empathy there. There's heart, right? When you when you begin like pulling for the movies, when when an ah or like a no kind of comes out of your mouth despite yourself, the movie's done what it had to do beyond serving up 
X number of explosions, X number of jokes, uh, X number of blown up heads. You know, there's kind of check the box violence, check the box humor that you're expecting. And so when you get it, all right, it's done its job. It's it's worth the price of admission. But then whenever you get anything kind of over that, that's a good day for me. That's a good day for me for superhero movies. That's all I'm looking for. Uh, A a little bit of whipped cream and icing on on the Sunday. It's it's kind of funny, you know, like with the, the pantheon of DC movies, you know, you either you like the Snyder movies or you don't, right? So then Aquaman comes out. It is super by the numbers. It, it, I saw an examination of like the timing between just random explosions in that. And it was like a, a, a dramatically short amount of time <laughs> between when James Wan would just throw in an explosion because that was just what kind of fit the formula of the movie that he wanted to make. And it comes out in generally is accepted as a very watchable fun good movie for but, sure but it's almost like by contrast right mm-hmm. like standalone you start with aquaman i don't know that you're starting a franchise <laughs> you know what i mean but when you have sort of like people kind of kicking and screaming through the snyder movies whether or not they like them or or or, or if they fall short then all of a sudden you get to something like aquaman like, oh, great fucking great i very clearly remember i watched i think it was like a two or three o'clock showing of aquaman in the theaters i remember that night i was talking to tom and i couldn't remember basic details of what had happened in the movie <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it. I walked out of the I very clearly remember walking out of the theater and be like, yeah, that was fun. I had a good time. It was, you know, it was good. Woohoo, my bella. I could not remember a fucking detail. It just didn't stick with me. I didn't give a shit. You know what? And I didn't care to go back and look. I could have. I subscribed to all of the streaming channels that, that God has ever made, provided for us, and I don't care. Absolutely do not care. So that, you're right. That is the absolute by the numbers kind of superhero movie. I enjoyed it for the two hours. Could not tell you anything that happened the second i got in my car one question i had as this movie ended peacemaker reveals himself to like i said to be the bad of the bad guys an actual kind of bad guy villain but they're gonna make a tv series for him now is are they gonna rehab the character is it gonna become a good guy that we can root for or are we gonna watch john cena be an actual bad guy in a tv series and have to kind of get behind that now I don't know that I'm against that. I'm just curious if that is the best strategy for a television show. What do you think, CJ? Are they going to rehab Peacemaker so he's a little bit more likable? Or is he going to be, you know, uh, peace at all costs still? I hope they don't because, I mean, he was a dick, you know, throughout the whole the whole movie. And I mean, you can't forget that he, you know, he killed Rick Flagg, which I was kind of disappointed in. It's like, dude, all this military training, you couldn't beat him. Like, you couldn't outsmart him. Like, as, well, as the problem of- is John Cena is hard to see. I don't know if you're familiar with the wrestling persona. When he waves his hands in front of his face, it's because you can't see him. So I think that makes it hard to battle him. <laughs> well, and Rick Flagg is also smaller and was internally bleeding. Uh, there's a part where he pulls out a giant piece of metal on his side right right before they fight <laughs> man uh do, do a do a testosterone move and heat up your knife and you know cauterize that wound right a little what, what does he do he sprinkles a little gunpowder like through <laughs> that's it yeah. a little explosion a little explosion to help the cauterizing yeah i don't i, I mean i hope they don't i mean because you know if, if they do i think it'll kind of ruin the whole movie aspect of it and i think james gunn is also involved in it as well so you know to have him rehab and become a 
I guess he'd be kind of like a Deadpool in a sense. He's an anti yeah, an anti-hero kind of thing. You know, oh, yeah, anti-hero. He's, Same difference. Like, he's like a total villain, but he makes enough jokes that you still watch him and enjoy it. What do you think, Paul? Are they going to rehab the character? I think you got to keep him in that zone um, of anti-hero. But I don't know how that turns into a character arc. That does make for watchable TV. But the trend now for this kind of thing is serialized TV, and people expect some kind of progress with with the character right. when they watch that kind of thing. But I think the I think that's tough to do with an antihero. That's kind of where like Arrow started, but we all knew he was going to wind up to be, you know, superhero material by one by a certain point. But I wouldn't have that same expectation for this guy. There's a I think there's like a mental issue in there that's a little different than other <laughs> people that, that take on the mask if you will right when you've when you've set up the character that he he's going in full eyes open with you know peace at any cost no matter how many people i have to kill or countries i have to blow up and you know to to protect the united states you know uh hoorah but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know I, if it's a believable arc for him to be like, you know what? I do have lines. They shouldn't have killed my dog. You know, I was out, but now I'm back, you know, having like some kind of John Wick turn. I don't know. I don't know what that arc looks like. Maybe they just make him worse and worse. Maybe he goes in the other way. Maybe his arc is he just becomes more and more. He just starts to kill because he actually has a taste for it now. Maybe he goes on full on serial killer. I don't know. I don't know what to do. If you're going to do that. I don't know if you watched uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but John Walker is very similar thematically. For sure. Yes. Yeah. I hated that fucking guy. (laughs) (laughs) I hated or something. Like, he was like the great value Captain America. That's how I pictured him. He was the Walmart brand Captain America. Oh, shit. When Julia Louis-Dreyfus shows up and then, like, kind of, like, uh, she's kind of, like, courting him to for, like, season two, I was like, no, someone put a bullet in that motherfucker. I don't want to watch him anymore. Jesus. So if that's what they're doing with Peacemaker, that's going to be real hard. I mean, I like John Cena, so I'll probably still watch it more. But, oof, I think you're right. That's the arc, right? You make him just increasingly bad. But, man, I've never seen a face that deserved to get punched more. I think it's when he put his helmet on, it's like, it, it squished his face. It looks like he had no teeth. Like he had grandpa, like he had a grandpa look. Like it just it like a penis with a helmet is what he looked like. I don't know. I, was, I mean, I wasn't going to go that far, you know. <laughs> I, I was trying to keep it PG, but we just went, you know, R-rated here. So I you, always curse a lot to make sure we have to do explicit. It's just, I always set that bar up right away for us. He so. has a little little pad by him so he can check. Uh, how many times? Yeah. I said penis and there's dick. Okay, there's two. All right. <laughs> I mean, I wonder that, did either of you see Banshee? It's a TV series. It sounds, I don't Banshee? think I've, no, I've seen I haven't it, seen but seen I've it. heard of it. Anthony Starr, you know, Homelander. Sure. He, he's the lead. A bunch of other actors are in it that are kind of quasi-familiar faces that you'd you know you'd seen on other TV shows. But the idea is that uh, he gets out of jail and he has unfinished business with his with his ex-wife. He went to jail. She didn't. She kept the loot from their last job that sent him to jail. He needs to go settle up. But on the way there, he's kind of in the middle of this bar fight wherein a the sheriff that no one in town has met yet gets killed. So he assumes his identity 
to kind of just fuck with everybody in town, but especially his wife. So the story plays out from there. It is very pulpy. So there's like sex and violence in every episode. Hardcore in both departments. It winds up being this anti-hero redemption story like i said it's very pulpy but it's also just like a popcorn kind of watchable like oh my god what that's terrible when's the next one you know right 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 <laughs> that kind of thing the last couple seasons fall off a little bit or maybe the last one does but at least it ends the story for you i can't recommend that show to everybody but if you're looking for something with sort of the anti-hero like well how are they going to make this work where he gets he still has those tendencies to want to play dirty but then make the audience root for him you know they managed to do that in that show Interesting. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, there you go. So those are, you know, two or three examples of where you can do the antihero arc and make a show out of it. But curious, I mean, curious, and presumably it's going to be an HBO Max original streamer and some, it's not going to be like a broadcast TV show. And you probably have more leeway to do probably dark, dark <laughs> antihero, uh, you know, lead and that kind of thing, because it's, it's going to be niche, more niche out of the box. Peacemaker, because you, you brought up Homelander, he does have that Homelander feel. It's just like he's not the hero, and he's just a secret psychopath, you know, going around and you know, even he has to do whatever he has to do to keep everything. So in a sense, you know, Peacemaker is kind of like Home Homelander, but he's the villain. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, because he said he's all doing it for basically himself and for peace. You could very well see where if. You know, in the comics, in, in the various comics, there's there's always there's often like a privately funded super team that kind of is the bane of the actual heroic super team. To be clear, you're not talking about Bane, though. You're not, no, no, no. Batman! You climbed out of your hole, Batman! No, no. Not Bane, okay. I just mean that the people that are kind of the pain in the ass to the actual superheroes, because yes, they're, yes, yes, yes. they're purportedly doing like hero business, but they're actually just kind of hired guns. You could easily see where Peacemaker could fit into a Homelander-ish role like that. You know, where if, if he had the right marketing... <laughs> he could be a hero, even though he's still a dick. Uh, no, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, for, you know, the, there's definitely a boy. The boys definitely has set a blueprint where you can build that show. But again, but then you, you're going to need your Jack Quaid, right? You're going to need, you know, kind of good guy here who's not in the name of the show, but to be the person you root for. Like maybe you turn in to watch, you know, Homelander do horrible shit. But when you tell your friends, though, uh, more likely than not, you'd be like, yeah, but yeah, but there are good guys, though, who are, you know, or less bad guys over here kind of thing that you root for maybe that maybe that's not what you're thinking to yourself when you're watching it by yourself but when you at least go and pitch it to other people you say well it's not all bad you know raping and killing kind of thing so <laughs> and exploding people I mean, fucking a train what is it a train kills his uh his girlfriend in like the first episode just of the voice yeah. just by it doesn't even stop because he's got he's, he's the a train he's just gotta run cj i started to ask before where can people find you on social media where can they listen to talking shiz before we let you go well, I do have a pod page, and that's podpage.com slash talking shiz. And you can find all the social media platforms like Twitter, uh, which is talking underscore shiz, Instagram, same platforms. Man, I'm everywhere uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. What, what uh, day are new episodes coming out When uh, for people who like to listen the second something is hot off the presses? 
Uh, Sundays or Mondays. <laughs> Sundays or Mondays. <laughs> just depending on. Uh, yeah, I normally record like on Fridays or Saturdays, and I try to I try to get a new episode on Sunday. It just really depends on how busy the weekend is. So, it, Sundays or Mondays uh, normally when I drop a new episode. Very cool. Everyone should go check out Talking Shiz. You guys should go back into our our archives and go listen to our interview with the podcast with Talking Shiz. It was a great time, and it, it birthed this new friendship that we have with the Paul. Am I missing anything before we wrap up this episode of Love It or Leave It Movie Edition? No, I think we thoroughly covered what we loved or left about this movie. About the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. It, it, articles matter, people. Grammar counts. It, it, there's gonna, it's going to be on the test. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Love It or Leave It on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get uh, listen to podcasts, as well as all of Pod Clubhouse's podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star rating while you're there, it would be most appreciated so that we don't have to send rats to your house and have them eat you alive and consume you. Uh, or send you King Shark, actually, because he will eat you whole and not, not even chew before he swallows. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you.